If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. They were the heroes from the future. Teenagers protecting the universe from those that would sow the seeds of chaos. Each had unique powers and abilities. And though they often had their differences, they came together to save the day as the Legion of Superheroes. Now you can be a part of their adventures and learn the history of the future in the Legion Clubhouse. This week on the Legion Clubhouse, two unremarkable issues. Legion of Superheroes number 309, As the Sky Burns. Published March 1984. Written by Keith Giffen and Paul Levitz with art by Keith Giffen. Synopsis. What is the omen? I, um, so, uh, I read these, like, three or four, eh, maybe a week ago. It's probably been a week since I've picked up. Legion of Superheroes 309 and 310. Mm-hmm. And I was flipping back through them today just to refresh myself on some of the notes that I wrote. And I'm like, I don't remember any of this. I don't remember <laughs> this happening. I don't remember that happening as I'm looking at the pages. Mm-hmm. And it led me to the conclusion that both of these issues, specifically 310 more than 309, mm-hmm. are just really completely forgettable issues. You know... My mm, due to uh, some uh, technical difficulty, I actually wrote my uh, notes on these two issues three times, uh-huh. and each time it all ended with a question. And the question is, what happened and why? And the answer is, forty years later, I still can't tell you what or why. But I can. I think that I don't know. I think that when you step into issue 309. You know, we had the setup last issue. The prophet is on the Kundian homeworld. Right. There's a it's called Kundia. Prophet. It's called Kundia, not not Kundistan, not uh, no. uh, Kundaria. Not, Kunda, not Kundarunaruda. No. Um, but the legionnaires are on Not Kundia. the French Republic of Kund. Right. And the Kundians, the Kund, don't want them there. Right. And so... I think that this is supposed to be a thing where it's allegory for Vietnam. I mean, we're way past Vietnam. I'm thinking more a cold war because this is 1984. You know, I feel like this is a cold war storyline where, you know, it's like iron Eagle two, I think where they end up in Russia or top gun where it's like, Oh no, are we in Russian territory? Is, is something bad going to happen? But that's really never focused on. And so does it, the does the God being and John the Baptist, uh, do they represent the West then? I mean, what, what does the religious aspect represent then if you're trying to make an allegory for the Cold War and we want to help the Russians, but they don't want our help? Well, first of all, uh, the God being and uh, the, the uh, whatever you said is actually my favorite Elton John album. <laughs> but more importantly, I don't know that they represent 
anything other than a, a sort of a vague sense of impending doom. Because honestly, there's nothing really, other than the fact that he looks like Otho from Beetlejuice, there's nothing really about the prophet that makes him stand out from any of the other characters. Oh, in a no, lot he, he, he specifically says what makes him stand out. My sins made me this creature. And I'm like, okay, you're just kind of an <laughs> okay. overweight dude. I don't know if I would call yourself a creature. You got pointy well, ears, but I mean, you know, people, I'm people pay good money for those ears these days. Maybe the hosts of this podcast are not the best people to discuss whether being balding and overweight is some sort of flaw. But more I importantly, about. I don't either. Uh, yeah. Okay. Well, uh, you, you do walk. You are a very healthy, healthy man, but you, you know, anyway, so yeah. I don't know. It feels like, and you know, we, we, we talked in previous issues about how Levitz can kind of get away with Jewish mother jokes because Levis is himself follower of Judaism. And the fact that you look at the prophet and he seems to have so much like kind of crazy, almost Catholicism, you know, maybe, you know, the, the guy in the cassock with the big purple thing. It it kind of feels like maybe it isn't so much a religious statement so much as kind of a neat image. So it, I don't know. Well, and, I mean, I mean, if you are reading into it and, and I'm sure that we are spending far more time reading into the prophet and Omen uh, mm -hmm. than than Levitt's put into it. Uh, <laughs> I mean, there could be why. Why does the prophet command the war base? Is it uh, the this notion that war is like a religion to some people? I don't know to get to the other side. Um, but I don't know. That's an interesting point. Why would a prophet be in command of the war base? And more importantly, when we see, you know, the first glimpses of the omen, which doesn't make sense because in the, the literal definition of omen is, is something that presages something that's about to happen. We're writing so, this yeah. comic for you, Damien. We're writing this comic for you. But shouldn't the prophet? You be must named be this old to understand that reference. <laughs> now they remade it in two thousand five. Oh, did but, they? Okay. Yeah, but the, to me, the prophet and the omens' names have always been backwards because the omen should come first, you know, and then first. Yeah, they got the, the, they got their herald of Galactus all messed up. They do, and I think that's kind of the point here. It's oh, excuse me, I have the hiccups. There's a lot of Galactus in here thematically except in as much as when galactus arrives galactus has a goal galactus has something that he wants galactus wants to eat our planet uh and you know douse it in in barbecue sauce take a nap afterwards go burp yeah but the omen doesn't seem to i mean we start with the omen just sort of floating around on um planet disco ball mm-hmm standing and looking and then maybe destroying a creature i'm not sure if that's an animal a plant i mean that's a side effect of you know giffen's new unusual art style it could be either an animal or a plant it could be a planimal um but when the omen is like oh no something is happening da -da -da -da, it flies away and i don't think that the omen as as a threat is set up as as threatening because we don't know what it wants or what it is or well certainly not in 309 we don't 
Does it even speak? I think it does in 310. Does it? I think so. Oh, okay. I don't know. But I just... Hmm. 309 has a lot of action in it. And I will say this. You know, I've spent several issues harping on Giffen's new style and how I don't like it. Mm -hmm. There are some individually gorgeous moments. There are some really creative layouts in this issue because uh, when Brainiac is about to be killed by Danielle Computo, we see this really cool shot of him being zapped and then a series of panels that start large, smaller and smaller and smaller. Like he's about to lose consciousness, but he barely manages to tranquilize her before she destroys the world. And I mean, I look at that and it feels like what it feels like when you get lightheaded and start to lose consciousness or feel like you're about to pass out visually stunning. And even though I don't understand the where's and the why's of Timberwolf's uh, weird Logan face, there is a panel no, because he's he's Logan. I understand that he's proto Logan. There's a panel on page two where uh, the uh, prophet is like, "I'm the prophet." Blurgada, blurgada, and you know, yeah, Timberwolf Ultra kicks Boy him. And Timberwolf, yeah, Ultraboy and Timberwolf get up in his face, and that's a beautiful shot because if you see it, Timberwolf does a full tumble at like super speed towards yeah. him, yeah, and comes out of it with a so kick fast in, that he in phases the right through him. Right? It's just amazing. Yeah. And that's a lovely setup. And I like it. And then we get to the next page, and the next page is just kind of a mess. And, you know, we look at people's heads and, you know. So, the, so we actually had a comment from one of our listeners, Simon, uh, mm -hmm. about your dislike of the new art style. And he says, I, for one, love the art style that Giffen, Giffen shifted to here. Yes, he mm -hmm. is stealing someone else's style, which. True. Oh, man. Uh, wait till wait till uh, people find out about AI. Uh, but yes, he's stealing someone else's style. But what he does is so unique for the time that it always stands out for me. And that is a valid point. I mean, every art style is going to be subjective. You know, Stephen and I occasionally taunt each other about I think you love Umberto Ramos. And I, I do. Don't. I do love Umberto and Ramos. And I, I also, love Michael. I also love, and you yeah. don't. No, it's not that I don't like it. I. I, there's some there's a very specific thing that Mike Allred does that I don't like. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm going to talk about it on uh, I, and I do talk about it on this week's major spoilers podcast pre-show, I believe. Mm -hmm. um, I don't like the extra thick lines that he puts around his characters. Right. That's the only thing. Otherwise, you know, as far as character structure and that kind of stuff, it all works for me. I think sometimes it's a little action figurey posy, but it um is, yeah. But for the most part, I don't really have a problem with it. I just have a problem with the thick, thick inking style. And that may be yeah. some, I mean, that's his style, but I don't know if it's him doing it or his wife doing it. Because doesn't his wife ink his stuff? His wife colors. Oh, Mike she colors. Okay. Yeah. And yeah, Laura so, colors. But yeah. So it's not that I don't, it's not that I hate it. It's not like my hatred like you have with uh, Alex Ross or uh, Keith mm. Giffen in this issue. Um, I just, and I just don't like the thick lines. That, that's a thing. You know, I was 14. 13, 14, when Giffen really transitioned into this art style. Mm. And as a younger reader, I was really into the John Burns. I was really into the Jim Aparos. I was really into the, the George Perez's, whose styles were very clear, very, you know, descriptive. These mm -hmm. are more impressionistic, and impressionism works. I, I feel like there's definitely a place for impressionism. You know, if you look at, you know, I've said it, 
there are great moments in here. The middle panel of page 10, mm-hmm. where the uh, it's, it's really lovely, too, because the prophet just unloads trying to kill Phantom Girl. Right. Misses, hits Block, and we cut to the middle shot. It's this big, beautiful panel, and Block is just standing there with a crater in his chest mm-hmm. and five legionnaires standing behind him. And he's just, I mean, it's a beautiful moment. You recognize Block's power. Yeah. You recognize the power of the villain. It looks dangerous. Yeah. And, and I, I like the I like the page previously where Ambassador yeah. Relnick is revealed to be an Eclipso. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> the, I mean, Man, I hope can't. our listeners know all about the Eclipso uh, events. Uh, they heard it when you started complaining about it several issues ago. But you'll notice that the the dawn of the Eclipsos was also about the time that I started complaining about Giffen's new uh, evolving. Oh, so art. why do you hate Eclipso so much? Oh, I, I love Eclipso. He's got the, the dark gem that you look through and it turns you into an Eclipso and he can control you. Very much like the Omen is controlling the uh, the prophet. Oh, man. And at the, you know, at the end of the story, everybody's like, Arg, oh, no, we have defeated the prophet, maybe. But then, whoa. But they don't, though. That's the thing, right? Here's the Omen. Yeah. So here's the thing. I was more interested in all the sound effects that are in yeah. this issue. Specifically, the first one that we come across is is Crackle. But one of the big ones is a big old Cthum, which I know has been a sound effects that has been used in comics for years. And so I was trying to figure out, you know, uh, is there an origin? You know, is there a particular person who created Cthum? And so that's their trademark sound. You know, uh, some people want to say, well, my little trademark sound is to do this uh, or whatever. And I, I, there really isn't anything that I could find that talks about uh, Cthum specifically, although I did find on... Uh, I think it's an archived website called mm-hmm. Kaboom, a dictionary of of um, of comic book sound effects. And the very first instance that I could find of a Cthum or something that was close to Cthum, it's more like a Cthum. Uh, let me find it here is in Warlock issue number two. It's mm-hmm. K-A-T-O-O-O-M Warlock volume two issue number three from 1992 which isn't isn't Cthum. And right. then also in that same issue, there was a Katoosh with three O's right. and an SH. But I couldn't and really that, find a Cthum uh, as an origin place. I found there was a, um, I think I want to say that there was a um, Thor issue from the 70s that may have popped up, but it w- also wasn't Cthum or K-A-Thum or anything like that. Right. And it, it's sometimes hard to tell because uh, the way that comics were made, and in a lot of cases continue to be made, those books are done as sort of a, you know a group effort. So mm-hmm. sometimes the artists, like Jim Starlin, for instance, who did that Warlock issue, adds their own uh, sound effect. Some artists leave it to the oh the uh, letterer. Letterer. Mm. Now this issue is lettered by Todd Klein, who is a freaking legend. But I cannot, and I did look into this, I cannot for the life of me figure out if Cthum is a Todd Klein thing or if it's a Keith Giffen thing, because mm. there's a lot of Cthums in Legion of Yeah, Super. there's there's Cthums, there's Kabooms, there's Kazaps. 
which and I did see multiple times where the K-A hyphen is mm-hmm. used quite a bit, followed by a Cthulhu, a boom or a zap uh, throughout right. its comics history. So there is precedent for these sounds to be there. I was just trying to track down and I don't know if anyone is out there that knows the very first appearance of a Cthulhu. Because I would like to find that out. But in my cursory uh, uh, look at the Internet and Googling Mm -hmm. Cthulhu, I couldn't really find anything definitive. I and again, you know, it's not necessarily something that I have myself studied, but I've read a lot about comics and I cannot for the life of me think of any type of study analysis or archive of those sound effects oh you know who i should reach out to who's that uh nate pecos or pecos who does mm-hmm. the comic font uh from he's the, yeah. yeah from blampot he does blampot um he's the one that creates all of these awesome fonts that people mm-hmm. can use buy purchase and use for comic books or whatever they want i wonder if he would have if he would have any insight into that uh, while we do this, I will just reach out to Nate and see no. if he uh, if he responds. And it's definitely worth it because, you know, first of all, the lettering that we get in this issue from Klein in, in 309 specifically, it's great. I mean, you have a really kind of strange font. You have the colorful balloons. You can look and see those weird blue shadows and you know that. Uh, in my head, those blue shadows mean that this guy talks like uh, a Star Trek villain with uh, the echo filter on. Do you remember when F. Lee Bailey showed up mm-hmm. and was like the friendly angel? Mm-hmm. That's the kind of voice this guy has. So that's really neat. And of course, we have the already extant thing of Block's special word balloons that make it sound... Like mm-hmm. his voice, two mm-hmm. rocks cracking together. It's nice. There's, you know, a lot of great stuff. And I've complimented the art. I feel like we've complimented those cool effects. I've talked about the coloring being kind of neat and the layouts being neat. And all of that put together, I can't figure out why I hate this issue. Oh, so, because there's nothing that happens. Here's what happens. It's a lot of <laughs> senseless action. Right. They let fighting. everyone get a punch in and literally everyone gets a punch in. They let right. dream girls say something useless, Shug, and then they reveal the big bad at the end. So there's not really it is a big fight issue. And as much as I like seeing superheroes and supervillains fight. Mm-hmm. um, and, and yes, this is what part three of a four part series or something like that. I think it's either three of four or like three point five of four. Something yeah. Like that. Regardless, this feels. um this feels draining to me. Uh, like it just feels like it's too much. And it's not, I'm not saying that my brain can't comprehend it or can't follow it. Cause it can, but mm-hmm. if anybody has ever watched, uh, like poetic documentaries that mm-hmm. run for like two hours and it's super intense music and it's super intense visuals. And you're trying to, you, pr- you know, take that all in and develop the rhythm. And you're trying to find out why the director chose to juxtapose this image with another one. And it just keeps going and going and going for two hours It is exhausting. And so when you have an entire issue that is nothing but a a big fight where people get where everybody gets their lick in and everybody gets a a word in edgewise, it feels very draining. And I say that knowing that I uh, at the time sucked up the whole doomsday death of Superman thing 
Whereas Doomsday and Superman started to fight through each of those issues, which was right. literally what three or four issues of nothing but yeah. fights where we went from like a nine panel mindless slugging. Yeah. yeah. It was nine panels, then six panels per page, then three panels per page, then two yep. panels per page. Then every page was either a single page or a double page spread leading up yeah. to the death of Superman. And that's all it was, was just slugging it out and, and seeing reactions from people, uh, witnessing the carnage between Superman and doomsday. And I think right. maybe what's missing here is we are not getting the reactions. We do have a little bit of break where we go and see what's happening on medieval world, uh, 27 dash B. And we get to check in with Brainiac doing the dumb things that Brainiac does trying to <laughs> save invisible kid Two's uh, sister. But for the most part, this is just onslaught after onslaught throughout this entire thing. And it, and it, to me, it's mentally draining. So that's what happens in this issue. Yeah, I agree. I, it's not, it's not necessarily that it's bad because it's not, but it feels unmotivated. It yeah. It just, like, it's unremarkable. Yeah. It doesn't feel like we've been given any reason for why the prophet is here. And well, that was weird. And seeing the prophet beat down the legionnaires one at a time should be shocking in kind of a dark side has just arrived way. Yeah. But it's, it's not. not. Yeah. And then we and get it this. Feels like this might have been an attempt to try and, you know, recreate the glory of that five part great well, darkness. And, and if there's one thing that we've learned about the comic book industry mm -hmm. is that they do like to take something that has success and just repeat it into the ground until it's no, not fun anymore, uh, i.e. Okay. Civil War. Um, at the end of this issue, we do get a backup story. A lot of the Legion of, Club, uh, Legion of Superheroes uh, issues now have backup stories where they're focusing on one. This time we're focusing on two Legionnaires. This one we're taking a look at uh, Princess Projectra and Karate Kid as they are on their honeymoon on a hedonistic planet. And I got to tell you, or a hedonistic island, I got to tell you, uh, I don't think these two know what hedonism is. <laughs> they're sitting on a beach. They're, yeah, they're just, they're just having a, they're just having other. a conversation. They're both fully clothed. You know, there's um, not a bunch of, okay. she is barely clothed. No, she's wearing a, she's wearing a full piece swimsuit. That's that. And, and a cape, you know, that's you how you know, she doesn't by the fact that projector has been wearing a peekaboo costume for 15 years. Oh no. I mean, she's literally wearing just a bathing suit and a cape. And it's like, well, okay, but these two have no idea what hedonism is. Um, <laughs> and then they're attacked hedonism by means you rent a beach from a horseman. Yeah, they're attacked by some monsters, and Princess Projectra's uh, cousin uh, Arthur Curry shows up and Terrible. demands retribution. Yeah, and gets his butt handed to him. Yeah, I love the fact that Ferox shows up and he's like. Only my cousin's magic powers kept me from killing you before. And Val is like, all right, come hit me with a sword then. And just pops him in the head until he falls over dead. I really he hits him so hard. He pops out of existence. Well, it's really cool because he attacks. Ferox attacks Val with a magic blast. And Val literally somehow puts Ferox in the front of his own blast. That, my friends, is hardcore. He literally backflips around and throws the villain into his own frap gun mm. ring. 
But right. a very important thing happens at the end of that Ferox story. The horseman is like, I'm going to give you a two for one discount. <laughs> He's like, oh, Wilbur. No. Do you see what happens to Ferox when he gets teleported away? Yeah, he gets sucked into the into the uh, endless stair step. for me. Yeah. They're taking me. Do you know who they are? I don't know. Who are they? We don't know yet, but that teleportation sequence, that teleportation signature, is very much like the one used by Zemir, who will show up in a few issues as part of Lightning Lord's new giant Legion of Supervillains. Mm. Mm. That's interesting, and but I, again, what I, I would say Lightning Lord target first. I'm going to bet a uh, Lightning Lord planet. Orando. Prince yeah. Projector's planet. Yeah, of course. Like you do. <laughs> like you do. Yeah, I still, uh, this is a, this would be one of those issues that where after I read it, I would really have to sit down, if I read this originally, sit down and yeah. say, do I really want to pick up the next issue or do I. Am I still reading this book? What's that? Am I still reading this book? Yeah, that, that's the thought that's going through my head. Yeah. Um, I think I dropped Legion right around this time. I don't think it was this issue necessarily. And well, I didn't it's the come next back one. to Legion until Dan Jurgen, which is a few issues down the line. What about the next one? Let's find out, I suppose. If you enjoy the show, we would appreciate your support. You can find out more and become a Legion Clubhouse member at patreon.com slash major spoilers. Legion of Superheroes number 310, Omen. Published April 1984. Written by Keith Giffen and Paul Levitz with art by Keith Giffen. Synopsis. A legionnaire is disfigured and a diplomatic mission goes sour. Will the Legion prevail? Right. You know you're in for it when there's a big, giant, blind head floating on your cover. Yeah. 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 And, and, okay. and it says, the Legionnaires will never be the same again. Okay. Oh, no, they rephrase it, which is really weird. It, it, you should say the Legionnaires will never be the same again. Instead, they say, and the Legionnaires will never again be the same, which makes me think that someone was like, uh, let's try to rip off Marvel as much as we can, but just flip the words <laughs> around. So it, it comes out awkward and wrong, and we look like dum-dums. I think that they did it on purpose so that we can't say, again, I think they're... <laughs> and the Legionnaires will never again be the same, again! It still works. It, it still works. It still works. Interestingly, though, the the whole... Eyes without a face. Yeah. Or no, that's Billy, Billy Idol. Yeah. This is the face without eyes is actually, this is the first time I can recall seeing it, but it becomes a recurring theme in Giffen's work. Yeah. Cause didn't he do uh, the question, right? Didn't he do a big question run? No, no. I'm thinking now, of somebody else later. Uh, yeah. He was, he was part of the 52 team like 25 years later, but um, this is not the first time or the last time that we're going to see eyeless creatures. And by the time we get into, the five-year Gab Legion, not that far off. Uh, there's a whole recurring race of characters, well, sort of race, called the Probes, and the Probes have no eyes. And there's, mm. like, Probes all over the world, everywhere. So it's interesting to me to see the kind of things that recur in artists' work, because that whole 
here's a guy with no eyes, but the rest of a face. That's kind of eerie. I don't know what Freud or, or, you know, Jung would have to say about that, but I probably ought to go look it up. Yeah. Uh, again, a lot of this time, instead of fighting the prophet, there's a lot of fighting the omen. Oh, man. And Brainiac still making the same mistake that he made before in trying to save uh, Invisible Kids 2's sister with no luck. And what else happens? Oh, probably I think the most interesting thing that happens in this issue, which, again, mm-hmm. knowing what happens to the future of these two characters is maybe awkward and weird at the same time. Uh, they end up finally kissing one another. Mm-hmm. And Element Lad doesn't know what to do. And Siobhan knows what to do. And it's it's really uh, it's interesting. And I'm sure a lot of people are sitting there going and they kissed. Finally, hooray. My ship has happened. And then wait until wait until the five years later and then see what happens. Well, Siobhan, uh, this is kind of a point where the story starts to become Siobhan pursuing Jan. Yeah. And eventually becomes Siobhan actually joined the science police to pursue Jan. But yeah, it's interesting to see that, you know, that relationship pop up and i remember fans being bugged by the siobhan jan relationship at this point because it was a widely held fan theory that jan is gay yeah we've talked about that before yeah yeah but the fans were getting mad because you know we're putting jan in a relationship with someone who's female Mm -hmm. and you know you have that thing where jan is with a woman and what does that mean and in 1984 it was complex enough to even have the idea that a character might be gay. So the question of, you know, oh, well, is it really, is he no longer a gay character if he kisses a girl? All of that is still 20 years and, you know, the existence of Tumblr down the line. Yeah. But I actually kind of like that relationship. And I feel like it's one of the things in this issue that feels natural is how, you know, they're just hanging out in the apartment. Jan doesn't know that all of his friends are being killed. He doesn't realize that he's actually the president. Yeah, he doesn't believe he's the leader of the Legion. He's just like, oh, sitting here. And it's it's kind of like the moment where, uh, do you remember the Nick Fury, the series of Nick Fury panels where he's sitting with Contessa, there's no dialogue, they look at each other, there's a rose, they cut to his gun sitting on a chair, there's a close-up of the face, you know, there's a whole lot yeah, of... The- Gun goes off euphemisms that before everyone that else. Yeah. yeah. And then you get to the end and the panel was going to be a big sexy kiss. And the editor was like, no, you can't do that. So the artist put his gun in the holster. Yeah. That, that's how you do it. As, as the final visual metaphor. I really, I feel like this nine panel layout kind of evokes that building up to the big kiss between mm. Element and Siobhan. Mm. But, you know, yeah. So at the end of this story, uh, everything blows up. I guess they blow up the prophet and they blow up Omen. And then in the resulting backlash and when the dust clears and the rubble is is uh, starting to fall, there's Lyle, the original invisible kid back. And it, I don't know if that was the whole point of the Omen, the profit and loss uh, story arc. Mm-hmm. then that seems like a long way to go for that reveal. There's stuff going on there. Um, but yeah, and if that was the point, I feel like some sort of tying into 
the previous Invisible Kid Adventures where Jacques found mm-hmm. Lyle in that mm-hmm. weird dimension. Something could have had, because Lyle is, is in this for like a panel. Jacques is part of the team on Akundia, and he doesn't yeah. have he doesn't have moments where he's like, Sacre bleu, this reminds me of the times that I found the previous Invisible Kid on the back of a thing over there. You know, we don't have any of that. I mean, and, he does. He does talk in an outrageous French accent. Oh, he always does. But ask yourself this. Okay, this is the biggest complaint that I have about this issue and the introduction of the Omen, who should have come first and not second, because that's what Omens do. The Omen is an evil, bald, orange guy with pointy ears. Yellow. Eh, Orange. I mean, I see where you're going, but I mean... This is the thing, though. Yeah, we have an established <laughs> superhero character. Oh, I thought you were talking world. about an established real-life villain that's orange with big head and everything. <laughs> no. No, that's that's several years down the line. Well, that's but what we I was going to say. Heroic character in this book who is orange and bald with pointy ears. And I keep, you know, there are panels of this where I see the omen attacking. I'm like, oh, chameleon boys. Oh, no. I feel like from a design perspective, Having that head that looks so much like Chameleon Boy, minus, you know, the antenna eyes. and the eyes. Yeah. Um, I feel like that's that's a missed opportunity. That is a design flaw in the omen. Now the fact that the omen shows up, doesn't do anything, no one knows why he's here, and then at the end, Blows Dream up. Girl murders him. Yeah. <laughs> Dream Girl murders him. He turns Shug Ope. She throws him into a Kundian nuclear weapon. Yeah. And he dies. And the resulting explosion, like I said, it feels like all of this was set up just so they could, just so that they could open up a portal to get Lyle Nord back. Yeah. That, that, which again, it seems like way overkill. I could have gotten Lyle back in like an issue and it would have been as dramatic or better. I think, yeah, you know, we've talked about the 80s plotting. Oh, you know what would be really, you know what would make this story a lot better? So um, when Invisible Invisible Kid 2 came back from the uh, crazy dimension with, uh, not Wildfire, yeah, with Wildfire, right? Yeah, he came back with Wildfire. Uh, Wildfire. how How did he come back? Did they just phase back or was there something that happened? I can't remember. I would have had something happen so that when they, when music is strange. Oh, they got magic. That was right. They were back on Orlando teleported them back. Um, I would have had something, you know, as they're walking through the kingdom or whatever, a shadow in the background that nobody pays attention to. And then every so often you just see this shadow in the background for a couple of issues, you know, scoping out and appearing to stalk invisible kid Two. Until you get to the big reveal that who's this person stalking us and it's Lyle. And now he has abandonment issues because all of his friends just moved on without him. And they didn't even try to do a significant search to find him. That would have been a a survivor story, guilt thing, revenge thing would have been, I think, a lot more interesting. But that can be saved for some other writer of the Legion, perhaps me in the future. I don't know how long it's been since the 1974 murder of Lyle Norg by uh, Validus in universe. Yeah. But I 
I remember the Lyle Norg plots and being really bothered and concerned about why they were doing this. And it kind of felt like they're giving Jacques new powers. They're going to bring him back Mm -hmm. and you have Jacques and Lyle both on the team. And I was like, that could be kind of interesting. That would be fun that you could do something different with that. And I feel like the buildup to it is more an artifact of the, you know, the Bronze Age plotting, which comes out of Stan Lee's thing of let's just throw all this stuff in and then we'll let it simmer for 10 issues. And every comic that you read will have something with Norman Osborn in the background going, yeah, but he won't actually hit anybody until mm-hmm. issue 25. And mm-hmm. that that is starting to go away at this point in the comics. This is starting to go away at this point in Levitt's work. But I feel like it may have already overstayed its welcome from my yeah, maybe. I, I I like this issue better than last. I don't hate 310. I hate 309. I, I hate it. That wraps it up for this installment of the Legion Clubhouse. Matthew, what did we learn this week? We learned that Block's nose is not as invulnerable as the rest of him. Rest in peace. Go, fair thing. He hardly blew ye. I think we also learned that Profit and Loss was also the title of a two-episode series of The Rockford Files. (laughs) And most importantly, we got a secret hint about the origins of all of the aliens in the world when Dreamgirls swore an oath to Cassandra. That wraps it up for this installment of the Legion of uh, Superheroes Clubhouse. Uh, Thank you, everybody, for joining us. If you have comments, whatever, uh, hit us up on Twitter at Major Spoilers or at uh, Legion Clubhouse or uh, hit over to the uh, Majorspoilers.com website and share your comment in the uh, post for this episode. We'd love to share them in future episodes, just like we did uh, this week. But until then, I'm Kundi Boy. And I'm Block's Nose. The Legion Clubhouse is a production of Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC, and is produced by Steven Schleicher. Your hosts were Matthew Peterson and Steven Schleicher. You can follow Matthew at Mighty King Cobra and Steven at Major Spoilers. You can follow this podcast on Twitter at Legion Clubhouse. If you have questions or comments, send them to podcast at Majorspoilers.com. I'm Jason Inman. Until next time, eat it, Grandpa. This podcast is copyright 2023 by Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.